The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Happy New Year to everyone on the East Coast. It is 1210 a.m. Eastern time. Tom, right there in Chicago land, you will will join us in about 50 minutes. I think I'm going to stick in 2022 a little longer. Do you think like the countdown to the new year is what distracted Noah Ruggles on that kick? Yikes. Are we sure that the, uh, the hold was good on that? Like, have you guys watched it back? Because the, oh, the, no, 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 we went like, I mean, we jumped on basically. Yeah. The second okay. This was done. I haven't watched the replay yet. The holder doesn't console him. He consoles the holder. So oh, I've not okay. like I, I just just caught that. So I'm kind of curious if it. But I thought that because uh, he was a former North Carolina Tar Heel as part of the Coach K curse, he understood what was going to happen <laughs> before the snap even happened. So he was just going to console uh, his teammate, like no ruggles. When Sorry he about beating there. Duke. Our, our ability to turn this into an ACC basket like basketball adjacent pot is just uh, unparalleled. Uh, like we did not miss a beat. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Happy Chad. Happy New Year, New boys. Year uh, to, to everybody. Um, so, lots to get to. We will get to TCU's uh, win over Michigan, which like has some very interesting historical perspective, especially with, like, is it the biggest upset in college football playoff history? Potentially. Uh, it is certainly one of the highest scoring in regulation 
games in college football playoff history, but we have to begin with what just happened minutes ago, which is Georgia 42, Ohio State 41. So many different times in this game, I thought Ohio State had done it. Yes, so did I. (laughs) So many different times, I had kind of started planning in my head what Ohio State TCU would look like. Because a big part of what we are going to do today or tonight is going to preview the national championship game. So you've got to like always be thinking ahead. And no joke, like three different times in the game, I was like, all right, Ohio State's got it. Oh, no, they don't. Okay, now Ohio State's got it. Oh, no, they don't. I got to think that, you know, if you are CJ Stroud, after throwing for 348 yards, four touchdowns, after coming up with some huge runs late in the game, you are like not silencing your critics, but certainly answering some of the doubters in terms of your ability to withstand pressure and what you're going to do with it. And yet the Buckeyes fall short. So much to peel away with this, uh, with the the final from the Peach Bowl. Uh, Tom, like what stands out the most to you? That just echoing what you were saying, that was the most impressive performance I have ever seen from CJ Stroud. And I have seen all things like all encompassing. Yeah. I have seen CJ Stroud have a lot of spectacular games, but as we talked about of the week as everybody's talked about for a long time, his weaknesses were always his seeming lack of willingness to run the ball when he had, when, when he could. And also just the way he handled pressure in the pocket, especially when things broke down in the middle. And we saw all of these things happening tonight. And he, he he handled it, and he played magnificently. And it's like I'm sitting there watching this. This is, you know, you hear about growth mindset. This is a kid who heard the criticism, accepted the criticism, and then went to work on it, had a brilliant game, made that 27-yard run to get his team into field goal position, and they came up just short because Stetson Bennett, after kind of being mediocre the entire night, fourth quarter rolled around, and the gamer the mailman Moxie. told his receiver, get wide open. Don't let anybody be near you. I'm going to hit you <laughs> for a huge touchdown. And then leads the drive finishes with 398 yards, three touchdowns. That was just, that was an incredible football game. We had two incredible football games. So considering how horrible the semifinals typically are, I mean, that I don't know. That was just the best day of football I've seen in a long time. And I watched the Music City Bowl in its entirety, and I still feel that way. It it felt almost just the juxtaposition of TCU Michigan, which felt like very like ha ha college is crazy, and then Georgia and, and Ohio State was like, oh my god, all these guys will be playing in the NFL and soon. And it just like I this whole week I got up early this morning I've been covering the Under Armour All America game. I just remember seeing these guys two or three years ago, and now they're just balling out on the big stage. Like the amount of talent that we just saw and the amount of young talent that we saw for both teams have to step up as it you know, looked like Georgia's huge tight end went down. Stover went down for Ohio State. Like Marvin Harris, I know we'll get to this, gets knocked out and doesn't play in the fourth quarter, which is probably the most impactful play of the entire football game. But you got all these young dudes stepping up. Like my Michael Williams gets a crucial sack. I mean, true freshman kid comes in for Georgia, gets around the edge. And Ohio State's tackles were rarely beaten tonight. And both these dudes are going to be like high NFL draft picks. He beats him on that. I mean, I, I remember being at Under Armour and there was this other recruiting analyst for, for a different network hyping up this kid from California when they were going to do the fastest man a couple of years ago. 
And me and this other dude from Florida were like, uh, really? Because this this dude from Lakeland we know who caught that long touchdown pass tonight, he's he's pretty quick. We'll we'll take that action all day. Just the, the, the amount of talent on the field tonight was was amazing, and the execution on both sides. Like Tom's point on Stroud, it's so spot on. Like we know he is just so deadly when he's not pressured, and right. for the most part, Ohio State kept him pressure free. But like, and he and he cooked you when he was not mm-hmm. pressured. But also, like for there were like four or five really impactful plays where he dodged pressure, either stayed in the pocket and really slid well in the pocket, or got out of it, and and. That was it because like it wasn't like like Ohio State really ran the football for big chunks. I mean, they moved it a little better in short yardage. <laughs> the ball, ball at all? At all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was gonna say like right now I've I've got it at one nineteen, but it feels like that it was fifty six. Well, yeah, yeah twenty seven came on that Stroud scramble at the end. So, um, I, I I don't think Ohio State moved the ball well on the ground. I think that they missed Travion Williams badly in this game. I, I don't disagree with that. I just I thought that they got better like short yardage running in this game than than they than I would have expected them to. Like they really haven't run the ball all that well this year. In and my, like, to your point, Hayden, you know, five star freshman, like right, ridiculous. Like just that, to be able to step up into that spot is amazing. And if you, like, I, th- I thought the broadcast was actually really insightful, re- relaying the points that Ryan Day had said in in, in pregame. You know, like mm-hmm. they looked at each other, and said, "You're going to go score forty on Georgia," and Ryan Day basically told him, "Yeah, I think we need to do so." You want to watch Skycam? So I, I thought, I, I, to me, it depends on the stadium. Like certain stadiums, so Fiesta yeah. Bowl, Tennessee. There's a couple stadiums that are actually zoomed out enough to where I don't feel you need the Skycam because you can you can watch the safeties at depth. And other stadiums, based on where they put the main cam, it's too zoomed in. And maybe there's some producer element to that too. But I, I do think where they mount the camera in these things matters. I, I was watching the regular broadcast. I, I thought. I thought Kirk had some really good comments on that. Like they just stayed aggressive for pretty much the entire game until kind of a noticeable change when Harrison goes out. And that's that's a huge change. Also, Georgia started blitzing their butts off mm-hmm. once Harrison went out. Like they were not afraid to play singles because you already don't have Smith and Jigba. Let me just say on record, because I don't think we've commented on it here on the Cover Three podcast. I do not want Skycam at the Liberty Bowl. I want the potential of a fan <laughs> jumping in front of the camera at a crucial point in the game. That is something that I'm not joking about. What? I want this as a college football fan because it is hilarious and fantastic, especially if that fan has an Arkansas onesie on, yes. a full yes. Razorback hog. You, did, you didn't see that, bud? No. Uh-uh. Like on the pivotal play at the end of the game, like on a two point oh, conversion, Arkansas, <laughs> Arkansas catches the two point conversion in the end zone, but you never see the guy catch the ball because an Arkansas fan just stands up in front of the camera to celebrate. <laughs> and like, no, I went to bed. No, no, and there were like all comments throughout the Liberty Bowl of it feeling like mystery science theater. Yeah, yes. shout out to anybody who's old enough to remember that. But like, because you kept seeing fans pop up at the bottom. But it was not as impactful as the man in the full onesie of a Razorback mask, uh, a semi mascot in the wild, jumping mm-hmm. in front of the camera at the biggest point of the game. One um, giant feral hog. <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, like I was on the main broadcast for a little bit too. Like I hear you there, and some of me was um, processing this probably the way a Georgia fan would, where it's like, oh, weird. Herb Street's going to talk about how Ryan Day's overcome all this fan adversity. You know, like, and how it's been like, oh, the fan base has been really critical of them. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, sorry. 
I'm so sorry to derail this conversation, but I see something out there. I see old DK in the wild. <laughs> what? He brought is- his mic. Well, hold on, you made me the right bike. Hold on, right. hold on, <laughs> hold on. You, you oh, look like a hologram, buddy. Cooking with gas, baby. Woohoo! <laughs> are you are you are you actually on fire? Okay, no, no. Oh, okay. he's okay. not on fire. He is in front of was a fire. man inside me. Was this? <laughs> hold on a second. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Uh, 2023 is off to a hell of a start, Man. boys. <laughs> this might be a bad idea <laughs> because we've been having a good time on New Year's. But was this the best day of college football ever? This was insane. It was mm-hmm. the best college football semifinal day of all time. Absolutely. Without question. 13 of 16 games have been decided by double digits, and we just got 42-41 and 51-45. There is no question that in terms of a semifinal day, this was the best that's happened since the format was introduced in 2014. Agreed. And especially because, again, the Music City Bowl was just fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite so much. 21 points, 18 punts. What more could you ask for from a football game? (laughs) Um, So what would you think, Danny? I thought it was insane. I thought... The refs sucked in the TCU-Michigan game. I thought they blew several calls. I love the fact that TCU found a way to win against a team that clearly had the better roster. Um, I thought Ohio State blew it. I thought they had it right in their grasp. I thought Stetson Bennett stepped up big when he had to. I don't know. What do you guys think? All right. Just fire him away. I don't know how long they're going to (laughs) last. It's cold out here. Where are you? Party inside. I am in Deer Valley, Utah. Okay. It's not even New Year's yet. It's only 2022 (laughs) still. Right. Oh, my goodness. All right. Where are you guys? What do you start? What did you already hit? Uh, We're we're still on uh, Ohio State, Georgia, and uh, we were still just – you know, kind of working our way. We have not gotten our p- place where we are ready to. Uh, we we did a lot of praise for CJ Stroud. Yep. We have not he made graded. a bunch of money. He made. A, he, yes. I think he really helped his draft stock. Mm. I we think he goes not, number one. We have not graded really. Yet. Yeah, I do because really? I, I I think that performance. Yeah, I. I Bryce I think Young he's was go killer. Yeah, yeah, but Bryce Young is. What's Bryce Young going to measure in at? You think yeah. he's going to be five eleven? He's going to be five ten. So I, uh, so you guys, I don't know if you remember this last year at Indianapolis championship game. I think I told you guys, I was on the sideline. I was like, man, he is small. Like he is Mm -hmm. slight. So my partner, Dusty Dvorak was on the call, the game. So he was on, he texted me right away. He's like, you're so spot on about Bryce. He's like, he is smaller than you think. Like, but all you gotta, so Bryce is Bryce Young is the ultimate example of if you're him, just put in the game film. Don't don't weigh me. Don't have me run. Just put in the game film. If I were him, I wouldn't go to the combine. I wouldn't do anything. I would just say, put in the game film. Because he's got better film than everybody in the country. Mm-hmm. But CJ Shroud is going to measure better, more durable, you know, bigger, stronger. All those things are going to come into play. And I thought he showcased we already knew what he could do with his arm. But he also was able to make some plays with his legs, which I thought was huge, and one of the reasons they were, you know, in this game and had a chance to win it. He went off script. 
He improvised. He made plays while on the move, running to his right, running to his left. He gave me a heart attack there at the end when he nearly spun right into a blitz when the very last time when they could not take the sack. Yeah, but he was trying, and it wasn't enough. But still, yeah, no, I I think – I I don't know who's going to be the number one pick. All I know is that today was a tremendous day between Bryce Young in the Sugar Bowl and C.J. Stroud in the Peach Bowl. A tremendous day for those of us who have been raising eyebrows at all the Will Levis, Anthony Richardson love from the NFL draft community all season long. I, I mean, how many times in that game you think Kirby Smart about had a heart attack that his defense was like not oh. just being perfect and just like like perfect like kill robots that he, that he normally is able to deploy? Because okay, so the the best player on the field. Normally in this game, or the guy we expect to be the best player, eighty-eight. I, I don't know if some, if he's hurt or something's going on there, but like early in the game, after he had played like five or six snaps, they were talking about how Jalen Carter was on the sideline with fatigue. And I'm like, there's only been twelve snaps in the ball game. Like, what what are we doing? How are we fatigued already? So is he my sick? Ge- my I guess mean, is like, that to be fair, everybody's sick. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe he's got flu, maybe maybe he's dinged, maybe both. I don't know, but yeah. like he was not himself tonight. I don't think Ohio State handled him. Now they used multiple guys at times, as you should, because it's Jalen freaking Carter, and because Georgia's not that great on the edges, and you have NFL tackles who held up very well solo without much help throughout the game. But you know, I thought that was a big time storyline, and Georgia was not getting much pressure on Stroud or at least not as much as I thought they would up the middle until the fourth quarter when Georgia just kind of said, screw it, we have to do it, and the consequences will be less now because Marvin Harrison ain't out there anymore. Harrison Jr. is not out there anymore. Like, that was that was probably the most impactful play in the game, and I think the second most impactful play in the game was Brock Bowers levitating somehow and getting the fourth down. Yeah, seriously, that 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 dude does some does some planking. Yoga. Yeah. I was gonna say, like, that's when you recruit Napa Valley, you get yoga, and therefore you get somebody who can put their hand down and be able to still levitate their body, so no other parts of their body land out of bounds before you've crossed the first down line, according to the sponsored camera that has the line for the first down marker. Did Why you guys think Kirby got the timeout in time? For the first kick, for, no, for, no the, for the for the fourth down that they, which I thought was one of the ballsiest calls Ooh. of all from Kerr or from mm-hmm. Ryan Day, was outstanding execution. It was really tight. Now, it depends on like if an official sees him coming toward him. I do think he gives him the benefit of the doubt. But man, that official did not look like he saw him out of peripheral. And by the time Kirby got to him, it looked like the ball was snapped. It was close. I mean, timeouts were huge today because you can argue that that timeout won the game. Kirby getting that into that fake punt. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think back to the end of the Fiesta Bowl and the timeouts that Jim Harbaugh wasn't calling. And it's like, it was a very, very kind of, it's a big day for timeouts. Timeouts are having a moment here in 2023, you guys. And it was a, yeah, no, I, Shout out to whoever, like, and this is one thing, like, teams talk about, or fans wonder why teams hire all these analysts, like Alabama and Georgia have coaching staffs so of like a thousand guys. Shout out to the, whoever the analyst is for Georgia who studied all that Ohio State special teams and punt tape, who recognized it and told Kirby to we're call screwed. the timeout. Yeah. <laughs> we're screwed. We're not set up. We're, we're screwed here. And then we call it. Timeout. Yeah. That's why teams have those guys. That's what they do. The army of polo shirts. Mm-hmm. comes through for Georgia. Yep. Look at that. I mean that, that's that that really was that was pretty big. I 
I thought Georgia's secondary got kind of exposed tonight. Like there is a small group of Georgia fans on Twitter who are very like vocal that they don't think Ringo is a good player as mm. far as in coverage. They're like, yeah, he just like he, he makes a lot of tackles, you know, like he doesn't turn his head around. He's really not this this stud. And Harrison kind of cooked him when he when he was in there. Uh and obviously uh Xavier Johnson did did not. But they kind of got exposed a little bit. And I now granted there may be like Ohio State may be one of one mm-hmm, as far as yeah. teams that can do that to them. And I suspect they probably are, but that I mean, was that's such an exciting game. They took it to him. Yeah, it was a it was a rough night for Keeley, but in his defense, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be cooking a lot of really good <laughs> defensive backs yeah. for the next decade. So I'm not really gonna hold that against him, but he does have some, you know, technique stuff that he needs to work on. And but I still think you just look at him from an athletic and a profile of his ability that's probably a guy who's going to be a first second round pick at worst for him so. to be a contested catch guy at that size and run the routes that he runs mm-hmm. that, that's not normal like, no, you, you don't usually get like like 99 all these attributes and he's not slow it's almost like he had one of the best route runners of all time teaching him from the time he was born <laughs> but even his dad wasn't like a big contested catch guy like, like you never no. think of like just throw it up and marvison like, like marvin will come down with it right no, but just like, like the the route the footwork sure. and everything yeah just incredible yeah. i'm sorry i'm not familiar no you never heard of him yeah <laughs> um so we've given a lot of praise to cj shroud for one of like the considering the opponent considering the stage one of the most impressive performances of his career as a starting quarterback, uh, we've given a lot of praise to Ohio State, uh, you know, and noted the places where they got a bad break. What did Georgia do well? Didn't create explosive plays. Yeah. Sorry. Go, Tom. No, no, you go. That's, I mean, they didn't panic. They created explosive plays. They got, what's his name, wide open in the fourth quarter by about 40 yards. I mean, I was the one thing that was I was really critical of was Kirby when he went for it on that fourth and six and Brock Bowers showed off the Pilates work by stretching to get that first down. But then when they're facing the fourth and goal from the 13, and I get it was fourth and goal from the 13, but I was like, well, if it was such a must-have on fourth and six, why are you settling for the field goal? Because if you don't get the touchdown even on fourth and 13, you're in the same position you were willing to be in on fourth and six two seconds ago. I didn't. I thought that was a terrible decision. It didn't burn them. It still worked out for me in the end. So maybe I'm just an idiot. But I, other than that, I mean, I they were down fourteen, and we talked about it a little we bit. Them this, out three different times in the game, and they yeah. still are playing for the national championship in Los Angeles on January 9th. You counted them out three times. I didn't I, count them out. I will say I think the difference in. For going for it fourth and six and going for it fourth and 13 is where you stick the opponent if you don't get it because like the reciprocal value of the field position right like if you stick mm-hmm. somebody inside their own five the next expected points in the game are actually coming from you not the team with the ball like I, if you look at if you look at the chart whereas if you're outside of the 10 it's a lot more neutral he right. he he probably is considering that, but I just don't want to believe for a moment that Kirby Smart is ever like, well, what are the expected points at the yeah, field? Nah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he has a if he has a damn punt team no, he alignment does. He polo does. shirt yeah. specialist, he's got a guy that has the, the championship analytics chart subscription. And Kirby may not have ever seen the chart, yeah. but you know this guy's job is to memorize it and pick all the possible situations and and do the little abacus. Uh, I just, coach, coach, you gotta kick it here. I just need to believe that Kirby Smart has no idea what expected points means. He just says yes or no, and then the guy says no. He says, okay. <laughs> That's all Kirby wants to know. 
I thought the more egregious one was actually the one in the first half. Like that was back when they still had Harrison. I think at that point it was very clear you, you were going to need to score more than 40 points to win the game. And honestly, like you may need something that starts with a five to win the game and probably do if Harrison doesn't get hurt. So that one I, I thought was actually late, like right before halftime. Like there was like two minutes left when, when, yeah, when, when one forty four left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Fowler is all talking. He's like, well, it's so important that they grab the lead. I'm like, the lead lasted 40 seconds. The the, the, <laughs> lead, the the most important lead is the lead that you either have or do not have at the final. Oh, yeah, then, not then the CJ Stroud leads a touchdown yeah. drive to respond. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Don't we uh don't we have to give a ton of credit to Stetson Bennett? I mean, oh, yeah. he went toe to toe with a guy. We, I mean, he like, was bad for stretches, but when yes, they needed him to, and then look at the final throws. stat line was phenomenal. Like he kept him in the game. He had the game winning drive, the touchdown pass to put him up was beautiful. Like he's kind of been Stetson Bennett, like it's a little bit, it's not the prettiest when it's all said and done, but he gets it done. But it was what phenomenal. Do you think and I thought one of the reasons they said don't have Danny. Cause What's like, that? like d- d- Oh, the, when they, look. when they decided to, to cause Kirby. Hit. Yeah. When Kirby said to the, to the sideline reporter was, was pretty hot. So I'm, I, I really, I, I'd love to have Kirby mic'd up for what he actually said. To, to that's a Woody Hanked over there. Yeah. It wasn't the prettiest first half, but I think when we say like Ohio state didn't panic, I think a lot of that is a reflection of their confidence in Stetson Bennett. You know, like that leadership from a 25-year-old veteran quarterback who's won a national championship already. They're like, hey, no no big deal. We'll be fine. And they were. Look at look at the two quarterbacks. Like, we're talking about who's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft this year, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Stetson Bennett has now beaten both of them in college football playoff games. He beat Bryce Young in a title game. He beat C.J. Stroud in a semifinal. He's not going to be a first-round pick. He's a tremendous college quarterback who's done wonderful things for Georgia. And also, one thing I want to point out, <laughs> we've talked about it with TCU this year, how many games they beat after knocking out starting quarterbacks. Last year, Jamison Williams goes down. Georgia beats Alabama in the title game. Tonight, Marvin Harrison gets knocked out of the game. What happens afterwards? Yeah. Georgia just they are to wide receivers, but TCU is to quarterbacks. Quentin Johnston in bubble wrap, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of oh, speaking of receivers, last thing. Oh yeah, Eddie Mitchell. I do think changes Georgia's offense. Like I, I would be. I'm worried with, with, with them in that Washington. But if you listen to the Junkyard Dogcast, which you know, shout out, shout out, Dogs Two Four Seven. Preseason, they were like, "Hey, Eddie Mitchell is the dude that our defensive backs can't cover." And that's a long, like, high ankle sprain injury, nine weeks to miss. But, I mean, Georgia clearly does not love its receiver room. They, they, Georgia didn't take a single transfer this last year. They've already taken two this year. Dominic Lovett from Missouri, who leads the SEC in receiving, and, and Ra Ra Thomas out at Mississippi State. But, yeah, Eddie Mitchell's the one dude who is like an NFL legit high draft pick if he hits type guy in that room right now. And for them to have him healthy, like he could not have come at a better time after losing Washington. Yeah, because I, 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 yeah, like Delp's a fine player, but he's not a one-to-one or even close to replacement for what Washington gives you. I love the potential of Darnell Washington. I think the absence of Darnell is a bigger impact on their run game right now than their passing attack. Well, TCU specifically here, assuming that they don't have Washington because he was on crutches, mm-hmm. right? If you had to face that, that there was going to be a nightmare for that three three because yeah. that that would get you out of your stacks with a quickness. 
And now you will face a little bit more wide open Georgia thing, which fits you a little bit better. Like I, I really was thinking like there's the reason why TCU does not want to play Georgia, in my opinion, if they had Washington is like, that's not the kind of defense I think you want to run against that. Well, I thought person. that was what Michigan was going to be able to successfully do is run 12 personnel and maul them. Yeah, but the schoonmaker injury, I think, kind of messed that up a little bit. They, they also don't have two that are anywhere close. Like, none of Michigan's tight ends would start for Georgia. Yeah, you can't go uh, schoonmaker and love They'd it. already lost Eric All, so yeah. Right. Yeah, so you can't, can't do that. Speaking of, coming up on the other side, TCU's storybook season continues with a shot at the national championship. We'll get into not only what TCU did right in an epic against the Michigan Wolverines, but our early look ahead to Georgia and TCU in the national championship game next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Oh, we lose DK? Yeah. He bailed. Apparently, he had to go back to his party in the mountains of Utah. Mm. Is oh, Danny the, in the next? What's the Montana show that Paramount has? Oh, um, Yellowstone. Is Danny like the next? Like, it's going to be like Yellowstone 2023 starring Danny. <laughs> Maybe he's Danny. shooting on location right now. Danny's a young Kevin Costner. No, he tell us. I would hope he gets. By, us by the role. way, I meant to say this with Danny still on the call. Dusty killed it today, and I felt like there was a lot of uh, Dusty Dvorak appreciation in the uh, ecosystem. We've known that. I feel like we've all been guests on their show multiple times, had a lot of conversations with Dusty. But uh, but yeah, Dusty's legit. He's, uh, he's, he's stellar at this, and uh, it's a lot of fun. But anyway, back to that early game. So it is debatable that TCU taking down Michigan is a one of the biggest upsets in the college football playoff era. Eight points at kickoff. It is debatable that B, it is one of the best games of the college football playoff era. It is not debatable that it is the highest scoring game in regulation in the college football playoff era with it coming only second to that Rose Bowl, which went to double overtime. The 40-40, the 44-point third quarter is the highest-scoring quarter in a bowl game in years. The back and forth, the swings, it was tremendous. But you know what didn't happen? 
There was never a lead change in this. TCU, the entire way, wire to wire winners. What did TCU do the best in your eyes, Bud Elliott? So I thought they made J.J. McCarthy try to beat them. Uh, and they, uh, they really said, hey, can you beat us on a down-to-down basis? And ultimately, that is what won TCU the game on that side of the football. They devoted a lot of resources to stopping the run of Michigan. TCU outrushed Michigan in this ballgame, right? They, they, they loaded gaps. They run blitzed a lot. And J.J. McCarthy was routinely late. If J.J. McCarthy could read stuff quickly, Michigan would be just so lethal, right? But he, he can't or doesn't yet. I mean, I'm not going to rule it out that maybe eventually he does. He was certainly a five-star coming out, super talented kid. It's only his first year starting. But he's not there yet, and TCU took advantage of that. If you look at the first pick he throws, he's just flat laid on it. You, you, you can't add a hitch to that drop. That extra hitch that he does gives the DB, Bud, great name, by the way. DB's name Clark is Bud. Just yeah, Bud Clark jumps this thing. <laughs> but if he throws this on time, Bud Clark, he's not jumping it because the guy's going to be open. That's just a, a bad mistake by McCarthy. And he had a number of these. Like He had a couple other balls that should have been picked off. I thought TCU did a nice job of not having to get out of their stacks. They really kept their linebackers pretty clean throughout the game, and they put the game on McCarthy. And specifically when McCarthy had to read it out, he was not able to do so. Michigan schemed a lot of these passes for him. And if you look at it in the second half, it was very much, to the extent they could, we're going to scheme this open for you if we can. This is kind of a one-read thing. If it ain't there, take off. And that's not the offense Michigan wants to run. They don't want to be that reductive, but they they had to be, I think, because he was struggling so bad to read the defense. I mean, think about the plays they scored on, right? Oh, hard, play, like huge hard play action, hard play action, flea flicker. I mean, it's all it's all stuff that's just schemed up for him, and that, that's not. It's hard to be consistent if that's your approach. And they were not able to maul TCU because TCU kept him confused just enough to get they couldn't get to those backers so it made tcu's defense look extra fast what tcu i think did to win this game was first of all kind of along the lines of what you're saying they they overwhelmed and overpowered michigan's offensive line and and jj mccarthy like the first half of that game i don't think anybody on michigan's offensive line really knew what, what was coming or where it was coming from there's a lot of confusion up there. They were just they, like, where the, where's the blitz coming from? Who's my guy? Who's got this? Just, they were clueless. Um, they also, the other thing they did was get two pick sixes. That helps. They also finished drives. And that is the one thing, like Michigan's defense this year, the pass rush has not been as elite. They have not been that great as far as, you know, the you know, yards for play and all that kind of stuff. But when teams got into their territory, they shut things down. That wasn't the case. And I think having Max Duggan, a mobile quarterback, was big factor in that because Michigan was forced to play 11 on 11 instead of the 11 on 10 that they do in the run game a lot. The other thing I think that really hurt Michigan in this spot was Donovan Edwards being one-handed, literally, because he's got the cast on his one hand that impacts what they're able to do in the run game and the way the direction they want him running because they don't want him holding it on the inside hands when he's cutting outside. And also, he was completely useless in the passing game, which I think hurts them and where Blake, not having Blake Corm 
really impacted what they were able to do offensively. It really kind of hurt what they were able to do in the run game because outside the 54-yard run on the very first snap of the game, Michigan really didn't do anything on the ground. But at the same time, considering how much of Blake Corum's ability is based on that inside zone and his cutbacks and the turf they were playing on, maybe Blake Corum would have had a terrible day too. But the other uh, thing, <laughs> the other thing that TCU did was just they made the plays, man. Like when they needed, like if you look at Max Duggan's overall numbers, ugh, like he was only fourteen and twenty nine for two hundred and twenty five yards, two interceptions, which I don't blame him for either of them. And two touchdowns. So it wasn't a great game, but when they needed a play, Max Duggan made the play. Di Mercado comes in for an injured Kendra Miller, rushes for 150 yards on 17 carries. Quentin Johnston, 163 yards receiving on only six catches, including the long, you know, the 76-yard touchdown, in which he comes back behind the line of scrimmage to make sure that they don't get called for illegal men downfield. Just that's the kind of stuff that TCU is doing very well. The kind of little little small things and I mean, they, they made the plays. Michigan didn't. Michigan made some plays, but they didn't make enough. Quick note, because it doesn't need elaboration, and I do want to let Bud cook on uh, the field conditions, but Quentin Johnston, uh, 163, uh, right, total? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 144 yards after catch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get to the field conditions in a second. To add a couple more things to what Tom was saying, right, I – Michigan got out coached on both sides of the ball here. I, I really think like situational football, TCU was considerably better than they were. Timeout usage also <laughs> better, much better execution in the red zone. I mean, like Michigan won the Joe Moore award. Do I think they should have? Uh, it's debatable, but like they clearly they are one of the best offensive lines in the country, and that's probably where not having quorum hurts you more because Edwards doesn't have the same like tackle to tackle type vision. And Michigan did not trust it down there on, in, in the red zone. I mean, like th- their literal their plays were let's run Philly special, okay? Which I'm not sure that's as effect as effective now as it once was because a lot of teams run that now. They uh, had to have seen something on tape though. Like yeah, I have I'll absolutely no idea why they're doing that. They had to have seen something. I'll make that comment in our Slack room, and I, I agree with it. They there was that's there's no yeah, way that sure. it too many times we've now seen the Philly special fail, right? Like we we've crossed over the point where how many years ago was that? Five? That's long it was like when, when the Dolphins ran Wildcat with Ronnie Brown, and then for like <laughs> the next six weeks, all these NFL teams were like, Oh, it's <laughs> Wildcat. Right, yeah, like, yeah, it fooled Belichick. He ran for 380 <laughs> yards on Belichick. Like clearly this is the if you're inside the five yard line and there's like more than one toss, then like cover the quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they also like the, the kid they handed the ball to from the fullback position, they had actually used him as some short yardage tailback. I don't think they had used him as a short yardage fullback before, and that created the the fumble there. Um, I thought Michigan defensively also had some problems. They, they, they actually got out coached here. And, and the last thing that, that I have in Michigan's offense, I do think losing the tight end forced them to play more spread stuff than they wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And that plays in to TCU's hands. But offensively for TCU, their offensive line held up enough. I do think it exposed some of Michigan's lack of elite playmakers along the defensive front seven, right? They don't have the guys they had last year. They had been a really good job of scheming this year. And Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley had the chalk, and they formationed them quite a bit. 
to where they were able to scheme runs where just nobody was home, especially when, when they went that some of that trips to the boundary stuff. And that's mm-hmm. that's the thing we see a lot in college because the hash marks, you have to have answers for it. Repeatedly in the first half, Michigan did not have answers. They were a guy short run support to the field. And TCU got them there several times. I think that was a couple of those Kendrick Miller runs. It wasn't like everybody got blown off the ball. It was just there was nobody to blow off the ball because nobody was was over there. I also thought TCU did a nice job in the open field of using tempo, but then not snapping it quickly. But they would get up to the ball quickly. And early on, especially you can go back and watch this in the first quarter, Michigan stopped doing this later, which is crucial. But early on, Michigan was showing its rotations fast because I think they were worried about TCU's tempo, that they were actually showing Max Duggan what they were going to do. Like they were rotating way too early before, before the snap, and it gave Duggan a chance to kind of figure out what they were going to do. I thought that was pretty big. Um, they also repeatedly ran that little like bailout screen perfectly timed several mm-hmm. times, including two touchdowns on it against TCU's blitz. I mean, that was that was huge, man. Like the, the, the huge play to Quentin Johnson, it's that just sort of bail, 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 bail. Two guys blocked downfield. It's legal because you're running Johnson technically just barely behind the line of scrimmage. And you score on it. Like that's a Lincoln Riley staple that Garrett Riley borrowed, and it worked twice to great effect. So that was huge. Um, and shout out to to Demarcado. Demarcado. Okay, because on the first you time you never been in, to the Mercado. I have. Okay. All right. Donde está el Mercado? <laughs> um, that's how I, I remember how to spell it. Like the first drive that he's in there after Miller gets hurt. Yeah. He doesn't block a soul on that blitz. And they kind of have it schemed up to where it's going to be a touchdown if he actually manages to like touch somebody. But on the next one, he actually does a great job of blitz pickup. And Davis, who I think was going to be like the biggest goat of the day in a negative way, had TCU lost this game because he, you know, messed up on the kickoff, totally failed to you know to field the punt, and then with that beautiful blitz pickup on a crucial third down, Duggan stands in there, slides in the pocket, throws a dime, and Davis is like. Ball just hits off his hands. I'm sure it'd be on that, like that, whatever that channel is, where the guy pretends to be the coach. I'm sure you've seen that, and uh, you know the piss down his leg type thing. <laughs> Terrible interception off that. Demarcado stepped up big, dude. I know he fumbled as well, but like he had a couple major blitz pickups that because Michigan went after him. Kendrick Miller is a good blitz pickup guy. Like he's a thick kid. I was impressed there too. So that was good. Last note for me before we get to field. Sorry, I, just, I took a lot of notes on this one. What Are you sleep off? We're trying to have a conversation, man. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm amped up about this one. This was, fun. this was so much fun to watch. What? Um, I, I, I thought you wanted me to get, get the turf uh, stuff. I mean, Brendan Clinton is is the, the name of the guy you're talking about. And uh, it, it is Mr. Go 30 on Twitter, if you want to shout at him out. There you um, go. Yeah, the, the videos are incredible. 100%. Coach 30. Brendan Clinton, Mr. Go 30. But yeah, uh, just just run it up, Brent. All right. See, I, I thought you wanted me to get the turf stuff. I was like, shit, I got I got too many notes to, to, to get the turf stuff right this second. You wanted um, a you wanted a YouTube short on the turf stuff, turf stuff. I did, because I figured it, would, it may it may go viral. And then I regretted doing it when like by, we do it by halftime because guys kept slipping. I'm like, damn, I could have added that clip, could have added this clip. Like this could this could have could have been a full video, not just a short. The TCU turf hurt is like poopy caca. God, it's bad. TCU going full tempo on the goal line to prevent Michigan from subbing twice was critical because I don't know that TCU's offensive line pushes people around. See also the Big 12 title game if you want to just harken back to like three weeks ago. 
Um, Michigan was playing light personnel on those, those explosive plays. And if you watch it, the first time, Michigan only has two players with their hand in the dirt from the mm-hmm. one. And they only have six guys within like three yards of line of scrimmage. And I know TCU's in the gun, spread set, whatever, but that's not really going to work in that situation. The next time, you got three dudes with their hand in the dirt and one got down late. So, like, they really, they got, they were looking at the sideline to see if they could sub. They couldn't. TCU went tempo, prevented the sub, cashed it in. Like, that was, that was good coaching. Yeah, they were doing that all day. Like, they only had two guys with their hands down. It's like, I was joking on Twitter. I says, I can't tell if they're in a 4 3 or a Two, four, five. I don't hate it in the open field. Like, I get what they're doing, but on the goal line, it's not going to work. But your personnel dictates that that's kind of what you play. And you prevented them from subbing by, by, by going hurry up. Like, you got up to the ball quickly after the play. So that was, that was huge. Um, although Michigan fans on Twitter are telling me that it was all uh, officiating, was, was the. Uh, so, what about that part? I mean, like the officials sucked the entire game and they sucked for everybody. I thought they sucked both ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there was Michigan had a couple <laughs> pass interferences they could have gotten called against. There was just, I mean, the targeting at the end that wasn't targeting. I but mean, they said it wasn't targeting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I'm just like Michigan fans think it was targeting. Thank you. I'm glad you agree with me. Like I'm anti-targeting just as a concept. I don't believe in targeting, like it's assumption of the risk, it's football. I know Tom's not one of those guys. So if you agree that it's not targeting, I like it. Like, he's not I going sh- for a kill shot. The dude is like a foot and a half off the ground. Where else are you going to try to hit him? You don't actually hit him in the head. You hit him in like the back. You're lowering down. Like, I, I don't. But try was to hit somebody Roman with your Turner, shoulder. Was that Roman low. Wilson in the end zone? Oh, that, that was terrible. Yeah, no, there was, again, there was terrible that was, call. That was significant. That was so, yes. And here's the thing too, like with that, because my my thought on that is first of all, if you ruled that a touchdown on the field, I don't, I didn't see anything that to could overturn. allow you to overturn it. And the second thing was they spotted the ball off by two yards. Michigan intercepted that pass at the TCU 49. They spotted the ball at the at the Michigan 49. Two yards. How short was he at the goal line? I think it was less than two yards. The officials were awful. I am yeah. not going to defend him. It was a terrible crew. I don't know how that crew got this game, but they were making terrible calls all day, both ways. That By the way, that is an SEC crew. That's an SEC crew. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying Southeastern Cheeks continues to be a storyline of the postseason in college football. They did, they did have a better like last four days overall, I will say. Pac-12 had the other one, by the way. <laughs> we had Southeastern Cheeks in the Fiesta Bowl. We had the Pac-12 refs in uh, in the Peach Bowl. Problem the Pac-12 has got like, one crew that's good, and that was it. Like I've, I've actually watched some games of this crew, and they stand out in that they noticeably – their administration of the game does mm-hmm. not seem like an absolute cluster. And mm-hmm. too many of the other Pac-12 – you guys know what I'm talking about, especially oh, if you yes. have like, live log and stuff. Wait, what? Like that's not like the the US USC uh Arizona game. Remember like they just the in, end of half sequence there was was like fireable. Well, don't um, worry. I think the ACC has the national championship game. So we're all in good hands. Oh, who is it? God. Which ACC guy is it? I don't know. I think they just designate the conference based on the conference that doesn't make the playoff. And so <laughs> Yeah. The problem that's that's the that's the catch twenty two of like the poverty conferences that can't reach the playoff. We get stuck with their terrible officials. 
do we really think that he was in the end zone though? Cause like my thought is his body is, but the ball is, would be the last thing to enter. So if he does establish possession, like that would be like, you know what I'm saying here? I, I thought yeah, the broadcast I, didn't talk about that. Watching it live, I thought it was a touchdown. When they slowed it down, I understand why they said it wasn't, but it I, sucked if you were a Michigan fan. I just don't like, I don't know 100% if he was or not. Like I said, I just don't know if you if that's the call on the field. I didn't see enough that yeah, was there right. to overturn the call. That's the probably field. fair. Right. If you were there on the field and you called touchdown, but then you reversed it because, again, like the the officials should not be blamed for the fact that Michigan then fumbled the ball yeah. into the end zone for a touchback. And then the, that next possession, like, like everything that went right for Michigan was immediately offset by a wrong. That was the thing that defined the first half for the Michigan Wolverines was that they picked off Max Duggan. And what they did with that possession was fumble the ball into the end zone for a touchback. Like mm-hmm. everything. Okay, you got a great stop after you had a turnover on downs on that failed Philly special. And you know what you did after that stop defensively? Congratulations, defense. Here's a J.J. McCarthy pick six. Now (laughs) you're down seven to nothing. Like, all through the first half, the defining storyline was that Michigan was doing, like, one step forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. Finally, when things start to move in their direction – you're still giving up explosive plays. I mean, devastating, heartbreaking if you're a Michigan fan. And and one thing that I saw uh, kind of universally is people being like, man, thoughts and prayers if you've got like emotional investment in this because this is awesome. And I kind of feel like if you didn't have actual fan investment in anything that was going on today, it was, as Danny Cannell said, before he bailed for his sweet Utah party. Um, one of the best days of college football that we've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. I think also notable there that you mentioned with, with the continued explosive plays, Michigan was not getting a damn bit of pressure with its down four. No. Throughout like the entire first half. And their adjustment in the final five minutes of the first half was to just start blitzing like crazy. Yeah, and they continue that in the in the second half, and I th- actually think that was probably the right thing to do as compared to just like letting du- letting Duggan sit back there forever and pick you apart, which is essentially what happened in some in the first half. Although people point out his numbers weren't amazing, but he was finding guys open and moving the chains decently. But TCU, to their credit, that's a well coached team on both sides of the ball. They have like coordinators who I think are going to be head coaches probably soon or at least get big-time raises, they had good counters to it. Like, they found ways to hit explosives. That was... Hottest take I saw was, like, are we sure that Lincoln Riley is the best play caller in the Riley family? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not... I'm just saying it's the hottest take I seen out here (laughs) as Lincoln Riley's little brother Garrett was out here cooking. Uh, Not to jump back to the other game. But Ryan Day calling that touchdown play right before the half, and then go telling telling the sideline reporter, "Yeah, I figured that's what Kirby would call, and we, we we knew that as long as we could block it, we, we'd score." That was like on a sixty-yard touchdown play. Like <laughs> that was cool. Did you see what they did? By the way, like they, I don't know. If, I, I I went to the bathroom after that, so like I, I didn't see the replay. But they ran smash smash, and they put a receiver at running back. It's like a Madden thing. Yeah. 
and you run the you, you run the running back straight down and they just oh, it's George, a, you got no pass rush when you do that too beautiful yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's video game stuff <laughs> and that was the other thing is like they kept going to the cam of ryan day and kirk herbstreit's like he's so fired up oh my gosh he's so fired up look at i haven't seen this emotion this much emotion from ryan day who did who did they show more today ryan day or jj mccarthy's family Ryan Day, but only by a, a sm- very small, small, small margin. <laughs> like Probably I feel it. bad. Like is Max Duggan's family ugly? Why weren't they showing them? <laughs> While uh, before we pivot to like the mm. final stage of this show, um, can we at least take a moment to realize that we were seven points away from Ohio State, Michigan? In a national championship game, you know what? I'll be honest. I am so thankful we didn't get it because I mean, just being the Big Ten guy on this show, I don't think I could have dealt with a week of Ohio State versus Michigan, and then what would have happened after the game. I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful. Also, Happy New Year. It is now 2023 here in Chicago as well. Oh, cheers. Congratulations. Happy New Year, Bobo. I know you're watching. We did it. So Robert Griffin left the game. I guess he was doing some kind of like broadcast or something. I I, I don't know. I, I didn't see this one, but I saw the clip on, on, on Twitter. You want to take? And he's his wife's having a baby, but now he's tweeting – CJ Stroud staked his claim to be the number one pick in the draft. So did he how did he watch the game? I don't know. Like Chip, do you think you could get you could get away with watching a game like watching a football game in the delivery room? I think there's a lot of dead time. Okay. All right, fair enough. I'm just trying to like like think back to these events. I don't know. So Cam was um Pooch, excuse me. <laughs> I try not to use my children. Wow, outing them. <laughs> um, so Pooch was born uh in April during the NBA playoffs. And when we were in the triage section, you know, when you're just like, Yeah, there's eight women all like potentially in labor. When they're evaluating if, you, if your water actually broke and all that stuff, and yeah, like, yeah, 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 or they send you home, yeah, yeah. He had a TV, and it was NBA playoff time, and I remember throwing the playoff game up. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just can. Told, you're doing. He's watching that. It's fun. You're doing great, sweetie. No, no, no. no. That's <laughs> the thing. Is like, I wouldn't put it on the phone because that's like an obvious distraction of attention, right? You need to have it on the TV mm-hmm. so it's far away, so I can be making like at least one eye contact. And, it, and, you know, in moments where she needs to drift off and do her thing, contractions are intense, you know? Yeah, you, just, you just need... You, so you was need the point here. spread on that game you were watching. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was the Warriors, you know? Come on. I, I thought Chip was going to be like, well, the you know, first kid was born during COVID, so we, we 
I, we sent the mother-in-law in because like we're only allowed to have one person in the room at the time. It just felt more comfortable during the epidural. Then I was able to watch like a thirty-minute block there. Like that's a boss move to put it up on on the on the big TV though. That's that's pretty smart. Yeah, the big TV's in the background, and like it, it doesn't. I mean, honestly, we're talking about an NBA game. There's like thousands of stoppage of plays, a billion like commercial breaks. We got to review this, review that. Everybody's got timeouts. Like, oh no, 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 move the ball up ahead. We just called timeout again. Yeah. Come on. RG3 has plenty of time. Like it was, I don't know. I don't have any hot takes on that. Uh, RG3 apparently found out that his wife was in labor in the middle of the, what was it? The Pat McAfee cast, like one yeah. of the alternate streams. I like, but the broke asked. The broke I, I didn't watch it. Yeah. I, I, I saw on Twitter that, that, that Cole was on there. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'll go watch some of it, but, but yeah. And then he, he left, Right away, he was like tweeting about it, and apparently he is still tweeting about it. But so, um, I I don't know if the baby's been delivered yet. Much wishes for a happy and healthy, all those things. Congrats on the sex, by the way, RG three. Congrats on the sex, Heisman Trophy winner Robert Griffin the third. I think he's got kids already too, so this I, might. Yeah, be, I think this is his second. Yeah, think think this might be multiple for his. So, uh, oh, two's a game. Is Ryan, is Ryan Day? Uh, is the Ryan Day thing still a thing? Oh, good question, bud. All right, so I if, don't think it is. I went back again. and watched that clip, and I, I, I'm curious about this now because I know it wasn't totally you guys, but you, you said you did, but like we, you were kind we were of relaying what the fan sentiment was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again. Ohio State played well enough to win. Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't in the game. That is significant. You missed on a missed field goal. Kind of feels like you can place that blame elsewhere without it resting on Ryan Day. If you are the intensely emotional Ohio State fan base, which is very intense with its emotions. Yeah, I do feel like this was just as much of kind of like a vindic vindication kind of game for Day as it was for Stroud as far as like, you know, the narrative. But... <laughs> If they lose to Michigan again next year, I don't know. I think this was a good day for Ryan Day. But like I said, I don't think that makes sense, but I don't think any of this ever makes sense. All right, before we get out of here, early thoughts. And look, we're going to have a lot of time to preview this game officially. Um, do we have a line yet? I think it'll be about 10. Yeah. I I saw some people. Oh, 13? Like Okay, I, I could buy that. Um, oh, TCU against the spread. Georgia. Georgia straight up. Yeah, I, I was also both? tweeting single digits. I was like, that's crazy to me. Like, I, I, I've bet on TCU a lot this year, but athletically, I don't love how TCU matches up yeah. athletically against Georgia. Like, I, I think tonight was the national title game. And I really think that it was probably going to be the national title game, even if Michigan had won after watching Michigan, just the level of athlete. They just played kind of a unicorn game there against Ohio State and deserved to win in the, in Columbus that day. But I said in the rematch, I would take Ohio State. And I think after watching today, we would all take Ohio State in a rematch, right? No. You take Michigan after seeing those two teams today? I wouldn't write it off as Michigan not having a chance. I mean, I think Michigan – had a bad day, but you take away two pick sixes, Michigan won that game. Like it's, they had some crappy things go against them that they might not have go against them against Ohio State. But I think that's also why, as far as looking ahead, 
very much on Georgia because TCU TCU did what TCU does, man. They get punched in the face, but they respond every single time. But they also led the entire game, which is a change of pace for them. But if you look at the box score, like they didn't have a great game. So, I, I mean, if Georgia did that to Ohio State, I think Georgia will be able to do well against TCU. Fair. I'll just be the Big 12 hater. I, after being the guy who loved the Big 12 all year and who was big on TCU, I'll just be the guy. And I'll say, I don't. I think you've run your course at this point. Total is 64, huh? I'm taking the over in every playoff game from now on, period. I just have to give in. Elite offense beats elite defense every time. And by the way, um, TCU is not an elite defense. No. Very good at yeah, what it's a very good defense. It's a very good defense at what they needed to do. They have elite coaching on defense with a lot of guys who will be undrafted free agents or like late round picks. Oh, Travion Hodges Tomlinson is going to be a like yeah NFL draft. Yeah, but most of the guys on that team are going to be late round kind of guys. Like yeah. Josh Newton, unless he runs better than I think he runs. And maybe he maybe he runs great, right? Like like, like somebody today told me he was a 10-5 guy in high school, which I gotta go look that up, but that was that would have surprised me. Um I'm gonna start making that up about prospects. You should like <laughs> hey, half the prospects are making it up when they tell you. So I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean like, it, hey, can, can you add this time to my profile? I'm yeah. like, is it on uh <laughs> there's this this track website that we use uh to, like that has verified times and, and they're they're wind adjusted. Otherwise, no, I, I don't just had <laughs> word of mouth. Every every 16 year old in the country is running like U.S. time trial records in the hundred. You just got to ask them. <laughs> oh, uh, we will have this up on our YouTube shorts page on cover three soon. Uh, this kid in Nicholas Harbor. Have you seen him? No. The 45 mile an hour uh, jugs shots. No, that was cool, though. Uh, last like so Under Armour has this like, I'm sorry that sounded disgusting <laughs> <laughs> but also intriguing <laughs> oh. oh we're about to pop in another YouTube channel <laughs> we're gonna um, start 2023 in all kinds of searches <laughs> this kid named Nicholas Harbour uh, he is like a legitimate Olympic hopeful and today we did fastest man at Under Armour and Dylan Edwards won Kind of barely the first time. The second time he 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 won clearly. I think they ran like four four one or something on grass on on a torn up field. Harbor is six five two thirty. He almost beat the kid who's like seventy pounds lighter than he is. It's he, he almost ran into me. I was I, I was filming it. I was like this is just crazy big and fast. Um, like you just don't see dudes like like look like looks like if Usain Bolt started lifting, right? Um, so that'll be cool to check out coming up on the page. He's he's kind of free. Um, any other thoughts? I, again, we we will have all week to look ahead to Georgia and TCU, the national championship game from Los Angeles coming up on Monday, January the ninth. Uh, Tom, you are in twenty twenty three. Bud and I also in twenty twenty three. Happy New Year to everybody there. Anything else stand out from the day? Jermaine Burton. Like better late than never. <laughs> yeah. Does he have a year left? I don't know. If I was him, I would go to the NFL off of that performance. Yeah. 
That would make some sense. Yeah, I, I kind of thought they were just, you know, just trying to put together a good Bryce Young performance for that NFL draft stock. And maybe if the offensive coordinator wants to look really, really good on his way out of town. Right? Okay, question for you. I was going to ask this. If Bama had snuck into the playoff, would they have fired Bill O'Brien before the playoff games? Because there is precedent for this because, remember, Nick got rid of Lane Kiffin but before Lane, that national title game. Well, Lane, Lane had another had, job lined up. Lane had accepted officially the FAU job. You don't think that, like, assistant offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears could be arranged? Before, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. Don't be putting that voodoo on me. So he had accepted it before the semifinal. And Nick, even though they won the semifinal, was so disappointed by the way things went that he said, Lane, you go ahead and take your ass to uh, Boca Raton. I'm going to let Steve Sarkeesian coach the national championship game. Lane was the coach for the semifinal. He was not for the national mm-hmm. championship before FAU. Mm-hmm. Um. Do we want to give me some help with my fantasy football lineup for tomorrow? Because I'm in the championship. What? No. <laughs> Chip doesn't know about championships and fantasy football. Come on. No, I know about finishing in sixth place. <laughs> I am not the worst. I am not the best. I know everybody who's like two to three years out, way before everybody else knows about them, but I am too committed to all these guys that are two to three years out. Pat Mahomes, <laughs> Travis, no, Pat Mahomes, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews. There we go. That's chips one, two, every single year. And Love. then rookies. Yeah. <laughs> give me Mahomes, give me Mark Andrews and rookies. I'll figure <laughs> the rest out. Um, Who do you got? All right. So it's my only league I play and I play with my neighbors and, um, I had a good draft, so I ended up with Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, and and uh, Michael Pittman Jr., which is a really good receiving core. My running backs kind of suck. And so Derek Carr got dropped, and the Colts. See, this is what I'm worried about, right? Like now, Devontae Adams doesn't have a quarterback, so like I don't think I can't really bench him because he's been good. Um, Joe Burrow, I'm not going to bench. Ramondre Stevenson has has the Q next to his name, questionable. So I think he's going to play, but I don't know. Tyson uh, Algier, uh, Brian Robinson for Washington. He's got Cleveland. Michael Carter, Dante Foreman, uh, Zonovan Knight, and Chuba Hubbard. So I need well, to basically pick two of those running backs out of those five. Antonio Gibson's not supposed to play, so I would go with Brian Robinson. We got Coca. We got Coca. Yes. <laughs> Coca in the chat's like, no. <laughs> I would go with Brian this. Robinson as one. And who are the Do other running backs? Andre? Uh, R- R- Ramondre, Brian Robinson, Tyson Algier, the Falcons, Michael Carter, the Jets. I would go uh, Algier and Robinson. Okay. Robert in the chat says, uh, play Stevenson. He's going to play, and he's the only guy the Pats got. And this is only making Coca angrier that we're going to continue. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see because I, I, I can't, I don't know, if folks back home, I can't see Coca. When we're when we're live, because he's because I'm I'm as, as a guest. I think oh, he's is, torn. He's he already tore the sleeves off his shirt before the show started. He has torn the rest of it off in anger right now. He is topless and furious. I kind of wanted to test to see if he had stepped away, and he, <laughs> he did not. 
So he's all right. He's doing curls right now, just angry curls. Twelve ounce curls. This is this is the kind of uh, insider information that you only get in the sixty fifth minute of the New Year's Eve podcast, recapping the college football playoff semifinals. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott Three. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. So much content coming your way to look ahead to the national championship game. It will be Georgia, number one seed. TCU, the number three seed, meeting in the college football playoff national championship game. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Happy New Year. See y'all. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.